Well, good morning. All right, good to see you guys. Thank you for being here this morning. And for those listening online, watching online, thank you for doing so. Feel free to comment or like along the way. Would love to engage with you there. Well, I'm Tim Rogers. I don't know if I said that already. Lead pastor at Grace Point Church. Obviously, my memory is fading quickly as I get older, so I can't remember what I just said a second ago. Well, it's Christmas season, and we're starting a new series called Faith, Hope, and Love, and I'm excited about this series, um, and I'll share more about why that is in a minute. But since it's Christmas, I felt like it was obligatory to start this series by talking about one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, and that is this, A Christmas Story with Ralphie. Now, some of you are young enough where you look at me like I have no idea what's going on in the world. You've never seen this movie. I just want to say you have an entire Christmas season to explore a Christmas story and all that it brings. Ralphie's story of a Christmas story, if you've never heard that before, is full of ups and downs. This little kid named Ralphie, he describes himself, I think, as a round-faced nerd with glasses or something like that. I think that's how he self-describes himself as he, uh, as he introduces himself in this movie. And as this movie goes along, it's centered around all of his hope for Christmas time. Like, he can't wait for that day of Christmas. And on that day, that day finally comes, and one of the presents that he gets, he's so excited, he opens this present from his aunt, and it's this beautiful Easter bunny outfit that he's wearing up here, you see. And his parents say, you've got to go try that on, Ralphie. He goes upstairs, comes down, he's hating every moment of it, and his dad says, you look like a deranged Easter bunny. Ups and downs of life. Ralphie also, this picture of him with soap in the mouth came because he was so excited one day. His family was traveling in the car and the, the, um, he got a flat tire and he's sitting in the back seat with his brother and his mom turns over to him and says, you know what, Ralphie, dad is outside fixing the, the flat tire. Why don't you go help him? Oh, he's so excited to finally help his dad. I get to go help my dad. He goes out and tries to help his dad and his dad hands him the nuts of the tire that he's taken off and Ralphie sneezes and throws all the nuts up in the air into the snow and they're gone and he says a really bad word when he does that. And so Ralphie gets to come home and have soap in his mouth to clean himself out. The biggest thing in Ralphie's story, though, is that he's been hoping for a Red Rider BB gun. He's so excited about that, and he's constantly being told, if you get that, you're going to shoot your eye out, because that's what all moms say about little kids who want to get a BB gun. And so he feels like he's never going to get a BB gun. Well, he finally actually gets the BB gun, and wouldn't you know it, he goes outside, and the first shot he takes, there's kickback, his glasses fall off, fall into the snow, and they break, and then he has to lie to his parents about what actually happened. Ralphie's story is full, is full of ups and downs of what I'm going to call triumph and tragedy. Life, life is full of tragedy and triumph. And as silly as it is in Ralphie's movie, The Christmas Story, it's also true for your life and for my life, I would argue. In fact, I will say the reason this series is so important to me is because my life has been like this, and I've become more aware of tragedy and triumph over the last two years than maybe at any other time in my life. I've had, I would say, more dark nights of the soul in the last two years than I have had than I, that I could remember. I've wrestled more with discouragement, depression, and disillusionment, and pain and betrayal and hurt in the last two years than I ever anticipated dealing with. And through this journey of tragedy and triumph, I am learning that this is the way that life is going to be, that there are going to be two storylines that are written. One is going to be the storyline of triumph or redemption, and the other is tragedy or pain or disillusionment and hurt. And somewhere along the line, you get an invitation to choose which story will be the story of your life. I get the choice of which one is going to be the story of my life. And in this series, I want to talk with you about faith, hope, and love. Because faith, hope, and love are the story of triumph. But each one of those characteristics has 
a nemesis or an enemy, that faith has an enemy, hope has an enemy, and love has an enemy. So for each of the next three Sundays, I want to look at faith today, hope next week, and love the following week, and see you're invited to faith, but you're also challenged with something else. I'm reminded that this experience of me is not just my experience. You may have experienced this too this season, but Paul, writing all the way, you know, hundreds of years ago, he wrote this in, in, um, in one of his letters. He said this. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side. See if you can relate to this. But we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. And I will say the last couple years has felt like that for me. If you felt tragedy in 2020, it may have felt like that for you. Like, oh, one more thing to deal with. Oh, another disappointment here. Oh, something else taken away from me here. Oh, like just the weight of we always carry this around. But here's what he says. I love his next phrase. He puts it this way. So that we carry this around so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Like we are dealing with this, oh, wait, but the reason that we're dealing with this weight is so that the life of Jesus can be revealed in our body. What an interesting oxymoron that if you are going to have this, and you know this is true for any movie, there is no such thing as triumph without tragedy. You can't have redemption without tragedy. You can't have the good guy prevail if there's no bad guy to try to ruin his life throughout the whole movie. There's no such thing as tragedy without triumph. There's no such thing as a win without a struggle. And this is what we see in Paul. This is what we see in Ralphie in A Christmas Story. And this is what I would argue you will see in your life. And I am trying to see in my life as well. And so in this series, Faith, Open, Love, I'm looking forward to this conversation with you about faith, its enemy, hope, its enemy, and love, and its enemy. To that end, here's what I want to say about faith today, that if faith is a story of triumph, betrayal is the story of tragedy. If faith is a story of triumph, betrayal is its enemy. Betrayal is the story of tragedy. Now, you may say betrayal, you know, what does that mean? And we're going to talk about that this morning a little bit, about what betrayal looks like. But I want to invite you to consider, I want you to, to invite you to consider making a wager on faith this morning instead of betrayal. That when you see betrayal in your life, I want to encourage you this morning, and this is kind of where I want to go, I want to invite you to consider making a wager that faith is worth it, even though betrayal and tragedy are going to be a part of your life as well. Dan Allender, in his book, The Healing Path, writes a ton about what I'm going to be talking about. So I'd, I'd recommend this book to you. His thoughts have helped me frame up much of my thinking and much of my healing journey and processing journey. He writes really well uh, about emotion, Christian faith, and how the two come together. But he's, he said this in his book, The Healing Path. He said this, that the wager of faith is that God exists and he is good. The wager of faith, and what I would encourage you to wager on during this Christmas season, is that God exists and he is good. Now, that's easy to say when there's Christmas music playing and the lights are all up and there's nothing much wrong going in life. But when things are really hard and pain is really profound and the hurt is deep and you don't know the future, that is a different place to wager on faith. When you have been betrayed, whether it's your childhood dreams or your, the way that you've been raised or your friends have left you or you've um, had a disease that you thought that you would never have, whenever you feel like you've been betrayed, it is difficult in that space to wager that there is still a good God, that he exists and he is good, even when I feel betrayal and pain. And that is the wager of faith, that even in the midst of pain and difficulty, that there is a God 
who is good. So to kick us off in this series, I want to take you to the Gospel of Luke. I want to take you right into our Christmas story. And this is one of the classic Christmas moments um, in our Christian history. And that is when an angel visits this planet and, and shares a message. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to start this morning. Luke chapter 1. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the pew near you. Uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 18 is where we're going to kick off here to start. Um, and just to set up Luke 1 for you, because we're going to jump into the middle of a story. Uh, we're going to jump into a time where an angel visits a guy named Zechariah. And Zechariah is an old man. He's a priest. He's a priest in the temple. And if you don't know much about priests in the temple in this day and age, that's totally fine. I can excuse that for sure, because who talks about that these days? But just so you know, Zechariah was a priest, and there were so many priests that these priests only served for two weeks a year at the actual temple. And so we're jumping into Zechariah's life when he has a chance in his two weeks of the year actually to be serving at this temple. And of those times when he's serving at the temple, this is the one time in his entire life where the lot was cast and he is chosen to be the priest who's going to go into the holy place and offer an offering to God. The other priests don't do that. This is his really once in a lifetime moment. And so this is a big day for Zechariah. What you should also know about Zechariah is being an old dude, <laughs> I don't know exactly how old he was, but our best records indicate probably 70, 80 years old, something like that. He had a wife named Elizabeth, and they had been praying for decades, is our best understanding, that they would have a child. To that point, they were barren. They did not have a child. And I understand some of you have been on that journey, and you know the difficulties of that journey and the loneliness of that journey. It's a real journey full of pain and heartache and questions about whether God is good and that he even exists, especially when your deep yearning is to have a child. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying forever for a child. And on this day, when he's finally chosen to enter the temple, what does he encounter as he walks into the temple but an angel visiting him. What a shock that would be. And the angel says to him, Zechariah, I have heard your prayers. God has heard your prayers. And I want you to know that you and Elizabeth are going to have a child. <laughs> to which his mind is blown. And here's what happens in verse 18. This is where we pick up the story. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I want to focus in on that question talk about it a little bit more, but don't forget this is where it is. Zechariah asked the angel, how can, I, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. You didn't have faith which will come true at their appointed time. Now, it's hard for me to blame Zechariah because if I'm honest, I'm like him. This is the moment, this is set up, this is a story for Zechariah to either choose to, to have trust and faith or what's going through his mind is likely what will go through your mind if you're him too. Here comes an angel and says, you're going to have a kid. But listen, come on. All these years, if you're Zechariah, all these years I have been living the story of tragedy. 
All these years I've been living the story of betrayal. All these years there's supposed to be a God who hears my prayers, but he hasn't delivered for me. And so his experience is a life of tragedy. His experience is the opposite of faith. It's the experience of feeling the loss of God's presence. And so, and when he hears this invitation to a story of triumph, his immediate reaction is, I'm not sure I want to live in that story because I'm used to living in this story. And it's safer for me to live in this story. I don't have to trust again and be disappointed again. I've already made an agreement that I'm going to have a little bit of trust in God, but not that much, because if I have that much, I'll be disappointed again. I can't handle betrayal again. And so don't tell me I'm going to have a kid when I'm 70, because what I have in my mind is all the years of betrayal, and I've been invited to see life primarily as a story of tragedy. And what happens? What happens to people, what happens to me, and what happens to you when we invite, when we are invited into this life of betrayal is that we begin giving up trust that God can do even the most miraculous that he has not done in your life for 10, 20, 30, 70, 80 years. See, when we give up this, this hope that there can be a story where God is faithful, and choose over here to live in betrayal, a lot of things happen to us. And it's not hard to get over here. In fact, betrayal happens all the time. Just in case you're thinking betrayal only happens to, to big, big name people, um, you know, people who betray our country and become spies, it doesn't happen like that. Betrayal happens all the time, subtly and sometimes more significantly. I know for me, in the summer months, when I turn on to 340, I know I have to go through the long run of 340 from burden hand to intercourse, the speed limit there, do you know what the speed limit is? 55, that's right. Do you know what the tourist speed limit is? That's right. They all betray us. <laughs> because there is a social contract that says, if that speed limit is 55 and you're going 32 miles an hour, you're betraying humanity, right? I have expectations that are not being met. Therefore, I'm experiencing a social betrayal. It's simple, but I'm experiencing that. You might also experience that at work, where people show up late to a meeting consistently. Your trust in them begins to be eroded because you're experiencing betrayal. Everyone else is around the table. We're always waiting for Johnny, who's just about three and a half minutes late. What are you experiencing? Betrayal. These little moments of betrayal happen all of the time, and they tell you a story that you are bound to be disappointed. The more deep the personal betrayal with people, then the, more, the closer the connection is our betrayal with God. The more I experience betrayal with you, the easier it is for me to think that God himself is going to betray me as well. I see the difference there in the disconnect. In fact, Allender wrote it this way in his book. I love what, the way he said it. He said, we befriend the world whenever we demand that others be what only God has promised to be, faithful and sure. We befriend the world when, whenever we demand that others be what only God has promised to be, faithful and sure. And some of you experience that betrayal at the hand of leaders that you wished would have made this decision and not that one. You've experienced the betrayal because you wished that you would have had a different family growing up than what you had. You wish that you would have had your kids make different decisions. You wish that your marriage would be in a different place than it is right now. You've experienced the level of betrayal. I have experienced, and I feel the pain if I can open up here a little bit. One of the most significant pains that I feel right now that I've been processing is this, this reality, this growing reality in my mind, that whenever all of this pandemic stuff is over, 
that there are people who will never be back to Grace Point Church, that we will have lost. That grieves me. I hurt over that. I have cried over that. And what I have realized is there are times when I, when I expect others to be what only God can be, faithful and sure. And I experience that, if you will, betrayal, quote unquote. And some may feel they experience that betrayal because of me. Right? But this is a reality for me. And this is probably a reality for you as well. And this is why when Zechariah asks his question, he says, how can I be sure of this? He's voicing the voice of someone who's lived and become comfortable living in this world of betrayal and tragedy. Used to God not answering. Used to people disappointing and putting the two together and being comfortable living over here instead of in the area of triumph. But there's someone else that an angel visits in Luke chapter 1. There's someone else that an angel visits. And her story is the story of triumph, not the story of tragedy. I want you to just to look down to verse 30 of Luke chapter 1. This is someone that you know without question, no matter your background in the church or faith. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> Can you imagine that? As a young girl, how old is Mary? We think 13, 14, maybe 15? The angel comes and gives this announcement to you? Are you insane? Like, which is crazier, that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have a kid, or that Mary, the Virgin Mary, young teenage girl, would happen to have, you know, the Savior of the world? <laughs> to which Mary's question is similar, but very different than Zechariah's. Zechariah's question is, how can I be sure of this? Mary's question is, how will this be? Look at that. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? In other words, I believe you. I believe you. I don't know how it's going to happen. It doesn't make sense to me at all. This doesn't work in biology, for what you're telling me. This doesn't work. I don't understand it, but I believe you. Zechariah's story is, eh, my life experience tells me it's not safe to trust this one. So how can I be sure that it's worth the risk of trusting again? Mary's story is, how will this be? I believe you. You're asking me to believe something crazy? I believe you. How will this be? Two very different people, very different people, with a similar message, two very different responses, the story of tragedy, the story of triumph, in one chapter alone. Let me review where we've been quick, because I want to bring this down to where we live here today. Here's what I said at the beginning. If faith is a story of triumph, betrayal is the story of tragedy. And life is full of both tragedy and triumph. And I've asked you this morning to consider this, making a wager on faith, that the wager of faith is that God actually exists and that he is good. And so my question then is, if I'm asking you to consider this, we have to ask the question, how do we wager on faith? What does that look like to wager on faith? What does that mean? 
Two, two ideas. First of all, first of all, by remembering. How do you do this? How do you wager on faith? If you're over here where Zechariah is, but you want to be over here where Mary is, where you're willing to believe and trust that God can do what he's going to do and bring triumph where there's tragedy and bring redemption where there's hopelessness, how can you do that? First of all, by remembering. If you want to look right down and read Psalm 77 later in your time, in your own time, that's great. It's a beautiful psalm to talk about this power of memory and the faithfulness of God. But how does one remember and what happens there? Here's the problem with memory. Memory is, if you can imagine it like this, memory is like a time traveler. It will take you back in time to when you've had both good and bad experiences. And so honestly, the problem with memory is that when we choose to remember what God has done in the past, we also remember what God has not done in the past, right? When I choose to think about the past two years in my life, not only do I try to remember how God has been present, I cannot forget the times when it felt like God has been absent. I cannot forget the tears that have been shed. I cannot forget the pain of loneliness and disillusionment and sadness that I have felt. I cannot separate the good from the bad memories and only choose to remember the good. It's not honest. <laughs> and it's just also... Thank you. Not the sound guy's fault, battery died. What I'm trying to say is it's not possible to forget the bad when you remember the good. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, can't, I can't go back and just selectively choose what I want to remember. But here's, here's the story. Let me drill this down further. When I go back in history and remember, I go back, even if I go back in my own time, I'm going to go all the way back for me toward high school, for example, when I remember. That's about 100 years ago for those who are counting. When I go back to a season of life in which I, as many of you had in high school, challenged you had ups and downs, some real struggles, you know what I remember? I'm going to ask this question of myself, of the people and the events that I remember. Which stories in my memory, in the time travel, which stories are most like God? Which stories are most like God? And I will tell you this, that I remember, when I choose to remember, I remember a coach that I had who was kind to me, who may not have realized what he was doing and the power of what he was doing, but to me, just that little interaction with a coach in the season was life-giving to me and redemptive to me. And when I ask which of my stories is most like God, which is most like the redemptive face of God? That's when I begin to say, God is showing up through people in moments, in experiences, in tangible ways that drive and feed my memory to trust again. I have a hundred stories of tragedy, and you do too, but I have one story of triumph. Which story is most like God? Your memory can take you there. Yes, it will take you to the pain, but it can also take you to the triumph if you will choose not to forget those stories. Let me encourage you. Secondly, through small faith. How can you wager on faith? In Luke chapter 17, verse 6, Jesus puts it this way. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed... You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. 
Let me encourage you. When you are discouraged, when you're facing a Christmas season alone, when you have on the the back end of a pandemic and a politically charged year and your own disappointments and frustrations with family or business or whatever it might be that you're dealing with, when you're on the back end of that, I'm not asking you to have faith for all of 2021. I'm not asking you even to have faith for the next five years. I'm not even asking you to have faith for the next week, but for today, for this moment, for the space that you now find yourself in, for what you are currently facing just for this day. Jesus has something to say about that when he says, Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Let's look at today. Let's look at today. Small faith today, in this moment. Sometimes the pain of tragedy is so great you cannot go two, three, six months or years down the road, but just enough for today. Let me ask this question finally. How do you know when you win the wager on faith? How do you know when you win that? How do you know when you win that? Let me put it this way again. A grateful to Dan Allender and is thinking about this, but let me put it this way. I know this. You win the smallest, you win when the smallest story of triumph means more to you than the greatest betrayals that you have ever experienced. You will know you're winning when the smallest stories of triumph mean more to you than the greatest betrayals that you have faced. Let me illustrate it this way. It was last year at this time when I was washing our cars. It's about the last time I washed our cars. <laughs> and I remember it was a cold day in December. And I was outside, and I honestly, I was washing the cars more for my therapy than because they needed washed. I needed to do something different. I needed to be outside. I needed to spend time away from things that I normally spend time doing. And I'm washing the cars, and to be honest, what's going through my mind then is the stories of pain and hurt of what 2019 had brought to me. And it was heavy. Um, you know, it was, it was not easy. Um, and as I'm washing the car, I'm just processing the, it was a beautiful day to wash the cars, of course. And I'm just wondering, okay, you know, God, what's going on? Like, I am, I'm, I'm struggling. Uh, I'm, I'm depressed here. I'm discouraged. You know, what's going on? Just washing the cars. And when you know it, we have a, we have an Amish neighbor. There was a um, tractor that pulled up to that home at the end of our lane with a wagon behind it with hay bales on it. And about 3,000 small Amish kids were on that, that hay bale tractor. They get off, and I can't even see them from where I am, but all of a sudden I hear, cutting through the crisp day, these innocent voices singing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember hearing again these words that in the middle of tragedy, here is the triumph, joy to the world. The Lord has come. He has come. And I remember thinking, God, I don't know how you speak. It's beyond my pay grade to understand that. But I needed the reminder that you come into our world in the darkest of places and invite us to move from tragedy to triumph, to remember when God has been good and when the stories of triumph have been greater than the stories of betrayal. And so the, what stands before you now and stands before me now is really the question. If life is full of tragedy and triumph and faith is a story of triumph and betrayal,